Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prospect Macarena, uh, the prospect Q&A that we do for Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. I'm your host. I am Kyle Reese for Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. Uh, just a reminder to, to refresh you about how we do Prospects After Dark, uh, this, this little section of Prospects After Dark known as the Prospect Macarena. Uh, we invite you to ask your prospect questions. Uh, bring them on in. You know, uh, it looks like we already have a pretty hefty listener group here. And we also have a ton of stuff to talk about. You know, uh, we don't need to confine this just to the prospects at the minor league level. We're, we're here to talk about the guys who have made a debut over the last week. Maybe some guys who might make a, de- a debut in this coming week. As well as what's going on at the minor league level. Um, again, you know, I... Uh, trying to touch base on, on what we missed in this past week. Uh, we've, we have uh, Nolan Gorman debut. We have a Matthew Libertor debut. We have Alec Burleson um, knocking the door down in Memphis, trying to get in. We have Yvonne Herrera on the cusp of a major league debut. Uh, probably the first time that we are, we are going to see a next year's battery of Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera uh, at the major league level, which is really exciting. Of course, you know, it comes at the same time as a, uh, some bad news for Yachty in his personal life, and we wish him nothing but the best and, and hope that uh, whatever he's dealing with, he, he and his family uh, don't have to share and shoulder the burden of too much. Um, you know, I know that one question we'll probably get into is why was Moises Gomez removed from Saturday's game? And that's because he took a foul tip. It wasn't even a foul tip. He hammered the ball right into his own left knee, and he hobbled around and hobbled around and hobbled around, and it looked bad. Uh, and he hasn't played since, and I haven't heard anything. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that part of the questions that we'll get into will be uh, in regards to who's going to be the next person up, who's going to get promotions uh, to backfill Matthew Libertor, to backfill Nolan Gorman, uh, Lars Newbar going up with Dylan Carlson going on the IL. And, uh, you know, the truth is, I don't know. I'm anxious to find out, really. Um, usually by now I have some kind of idea, but I, I don't really know what's going to happen, you know. I look down at Springfield, and again, remember, this is a prospect Q&A. I, I'd appreciate it if anybody has any questions. Remember, don't be hesitant to ask anything. We've had a uh, holy shilt Nick ask questions about Trevor Story uh, two out of the four weeks we've done this. Um, half-ass ask questions, but uh, yeah, no, so again, bring your questions, but yeah, I'm anxious to find out what, what's going to happen. At Springfield, they have a couple older pitchers that might be able to eat innings. And, you know, still at Memphis, they, they have a pretty decent little stable of, of arms between Zach Thompson and, um, you know, between Zach Thompson and Connor Thomas, Angel Rondon, Jake Woodford, Johan Oviedo. Um, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a pressing issue for a starter there. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Grant Black, uh, you know, one of the one of the older relief pitchers ends up backfilling to Memphis if they even need to do that. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we, we look down, Mason Wynn is still doing really well. We, we have a lot of really positive things going on in the organization, but one more time, you know, I'll remind everybody that the whole purpose of, of this is instead of finding your way into my DMS, you can just come here and ask me a question and uh, we could, we could do it that way. Uh, And that's the whole process of the prospect Macarena. What I should do instead of walking around my apartment in my underwear and holding a microphone for the first time, uh, normally we hold my phone. And I speak into my phone, but GIF sent me this amazing microphone years ago that I haven't used. Uh, so we're giving that a try. Um, but instead of walking around, I should I should have some of the questions that are in my DMs up. Um, you know, uh, I guess we more injury news. You know, we have uh, Joshua Baez, who's dealing with a wrist injury. That was part of the reason why he was removed so early in his one uh, minor league appearance so far. And, you know, the truth is, the truth of the matter is, We've really struggled. There's been, there's been some struggle uh, hitting at the lower levels of the minors. We're still trying to adjust to the lower levels of the minors, too. You know, I re- remind everybody that with Palm Beach being the new low A and with that league still trying to figure itself out, it's hard to really get a gauge for, for the compete level. It's hard to get a gauge for who should be at that level, who's being rushed, who isn't. Um, I, you know, I look down there. We're still seeing a lot of positive from Jose Moreno. We're still seeing a lot of positive from Inohan Paniagua. Some of the things that we were worried about at Palm Beach uh, that we saw last year from Edwin Nunez, the, the high-flying, uh, I say high-flying, but the, the high-octane uh, right-handed pitcher, uh, you know, much-heralded 20-year-old 
with the big spinning curveball and the big velocity and spinning uh, fastball. Uh, you know, we're seeing him still still struggle to control his body and the baseball. Um, again, it's kind of it's kind of concerning. But maybe the the headline of the week, even though he only pitched three innings, was the first affiliated full season affiliated appearance of Markevian Tinkens. Uh, in three innings, he allowed one run, struck out five, looked really great. Uh, our good friend on Twitter, Bailey Scribnick, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He had some video of it. The curveball looked deadly. His changeup, I, you know, talking to some people, I've heard nothing but positive things about Markevian Hentz's, uh, about his changeup to go along with the fastball and the curveball. It all looked really good. You know, uh, Markevian was getting up into the, the high 90s about, and again, tanked Markevian. Uh, he was getting up into about 97. There were some reports on the backfields that he was hitting 100 miles an hour. Uh, for me, I like the fact that he might maybe throttled it down a little bit. Uh, if he was throttling it down because he's still a svelte kid. He's still a skinny kid and uh, you know, no reason to, to push yourself any further than you need to. It's even more impressive to watch the young man because he throws so free and easy. It, uh, you know, it doesn't look, it's not max effort. It doesn't look max effort. It just, it looks easy. Um, as I ramble on for the first 10 minutes of this, we finally have a question and it's from somebody that I've, uh, one of, one of the pad people that I've met in public at, um, at Mokabee's. Uh, a, a good friend, Matt Stromer. Uh, Matt, I'm going to add you as a speaker. Uh, as, you're, as you're winding up here, um, I'm going to tell you that, yeah, there you go. Unmute button. Matt, how are you? <laughs> Hello. Hey, I didn't realize that was going to be the first question. Uh, hey, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing well. How's you it win the prize. <laughs> uh, I'm out here, actually, uh, after work. I'm golfing a par three, and I threw you guys on. And I thought I'd... Uh, oh, that's... But I'd ask a question here. Um, so I know, uh, I believe Josh Baez um, just got moved up for spring training or whatever they're doing in, in Jupiter right now because the lower classes don't really exist anymore. Um, so I was kind of curious, yeah. what, what's going on with uh, the extended, like the younger players in the extended spring training and what um, what decisions are going into the the Cardinals like moving them actually to like an affiliate uh, currently? What are they doing down there? Are there certain yeah, so, levels they have to reach? Yeah, you know, uh, so I, that's to me that's kind of a mystery still, Matt. You know, I I've talked to some people in the organization. It sounds like a Mr. LaRock and the people that he holds closest are the ones who make that decision. Uh, you know, Gary Gary LaRock. Uh, seems like it's kind of their decision. Uh, you know, with Marquee and Hans. What might have taken a little while is his size, and he has a little history of some arm problems. Uh, just as a reminder, in case whoever might have missed the beginning of this one, I rambled until I got a question. And by the way, uh, we've got a couple questions in the queue from Mac Wake 316 and then from Will Poulter. Uh, we'll get to you guys in just here in just a little bit. But, you know, I think it's probably on an individual case-by-case basis. I think a lot of times, especially with some of these kids that are um, – are making their debut at a full season affiliate. I think you want to make sure that they have a little bit of a momentum going from, you know, the backfields and from instructs to the affiliate. You know, my guess is that Malcolm part, part of the reason why Edwin Nunez took a little bit longer. Uh, you know, he, he finished last year. He spent so much time at Palm beach last year. Why it might've taken him a little time to get going is maybe they finally got him going a little bit. Maybe they were finally starting to see the results that they were hoping to see. And, uh, you know, put him in a position where they thought he would be successful and it just didn't pan out. So I think, I think as I, as I ramble and as I say that last bit, I think that line right there, they want to put each one of these guys, especially the teenagers, especially the people that they've put a little extra money in, into a position to succeed. And I think that probably goes into it more than anything. You know, uh, the nature of last year coming off of 2020, when your entire minor league season was shut down, uh, I, I think that maybe pushed some people like, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Jordan Walker would have been at Palm Beach. I'm not 100 percent sure Mason Wynn would have been because he was still on a throwing program and, a, you know, a, a position player program. You know, maybe they get don't get as aggressive with him following the lost 2020 season. Maybe they do because he's such a special talent, uh, athleticism and baseball skills wise. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think I think that goes into it. I, I think they just try to pick their spots. They try to be smart. They try to appraise on, on the fly kind of and. Um, you know, I know that with some prospects in the past, they've kind of had a date in mind for promotions. 
you know, the, one of the positive things that we've seen out of Palm Beach going from, you know, the what is uh, we'll call the complex. But since the complex is at, you know, Roger Dean Stadium, well, I'm going to try to differentiate them for the sake of the conversation. Call one the complex and the other, you know, Roger Dean or uh, the other Palm Beach is, uh, you know, it, it just seems like they're in a unique spot. They're in a good spot. Not unique anymore, but like with Ryan Holgate, right? Ryan Holgate uh, got off to a really terrible start for Palm Beach. The Cardinals third round pick gets off to a really, really the 70th overall pick. gets off to a terrible, a terrible start. Just can't hit. And it gives them a chance to send him back to the complex uh, without really having to move him anywhere to work on some stuff and then get him back into the Palm Beach lineup when it's time to get him back in the Palm Beach lineup, when he's feeling good, when he's looking good, when he's working through it. So I think we are lucky. The Cardinals are lucky. The one positive maybe that comes from minor league restructure with Peoria going to high A and Palm Beach going to low A is that it gives them the opportunity to kind of pick and choose how they're going to use people when they're going to be on the Palm Beach roster, what they need to work through and how they can work through it in season. Uh, Matt, does that answer your question? Do you have anything, uh, a follow-up or any other thoughts you have? No, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's a little, just a little curious kind of like what they're doing down there. So, I mean, that makes sense. And uh, thank you again for taking my question. Go Cards. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Matt. I, I hope you enjoy I hope you score high on your par three. Score high? I can't score high. I want to score low. No, score score, score low on the par three. <laughs> I'm one over through five, so I'm doing pretty good. Hey, good for you. One over means you have to do one shot, okay? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, you got to do one with me sometime. <laughs> I will, brother. Well, uh, you know, I've got these jello shots at the ready whenever you're ready to go. You just let me know. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, but you take it easy. Right. Thanks again. Uh, thank you. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you for participating. I'm removing you from speaker. Uh, yes, we remove. And then the next person up is uh, up, uh, repeat caller, MacWake316. I'm going to add you as a speaker, Mac Wake. And before I get to you, I'm going to tell uh, Will Poulter again that you're next up. And then after you is Ben Dorshinez. Ben Dorshinez, who I'm sure I'm butchering your last name. I apologize. But Mac Wake, what's up, brother? Hey, how's, how's it going on? Good to hear from you again. <laughs> it's great to hear from you, too, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, hope you are doing well as well. I'm doing great, man. Just pacing my apartment. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Uh, so just a, a quick question, you know, with Yvonne getting called up and, you know, given that this does seem to appear to be Yachty's last season, what are you, A, looking to see from this being like his first opportunity to show something on the major league level? And then B, do you think it's realistic that the job can be handed over to him next year? I think that they're in a very unique situation. I'll answer that second question first. Uh, I think that they're in a unique situation because of how good Kisner's played, uh, that they don't have to hand the job over to him next year. I think the, I think the little battery that the Cardinals are going to have next year is going to be awesome. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of talent between Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera. And I, like me personally, like I, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm devastated at the idea that we're not going to watch, get to watch Yadier Molina catch again. And, you know, as good defensively as Yvonne Herrera can be, uh, as good as Kisner can be, Neither of them are Yachty when Yachty was at his best, um, which kind of leads me into the first part of that question, which is to say, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not looking for anything. I'm not looking for anything for Yvonne, from Yvonne Herrera. I know that that's terrible, but I think about these lofty expectations that we put on catchers in particular between Andrew Kisner, between Carson Kelly, and, you know, you want them you want him to make an impression. Like, I know when Yvonne Herrera comes up, he's probably not going to try to do too much, but he's still, again, a month younger than Nolan Gorman. Uh, you know, he's he's still trying to show something. And then you worry about if a guy's trying to show something at such a young age, even though Yvonne is mature for his age, and, you know, on the, on the diamond at least. Um, you know, you don't want him doing too much. So what I want is I just want him to be there. I want him to be a sponge. I want him to do his thing. Uh, and I want him to just... Be himself. I'm just I'm looking for him to not overextend himself, to not try to do too much. And even if he goes, you know, if he gets one start, he goes over three with three strikeouts, which I don't think he will. Uh, they're calling him up at a good time. He's hot right now. He's taking the ball to all fields. He's taking long, good at bats. He's not overextending the strike zone, you know, pushing again. When I say he's taking the ball to all fields, he gets a couple strikes on him and he's pushing that ball on the outside corner, breaking pitcher fastball to the opposite field gap. His swing is kind of weird. You know, he, 
he kind of coils and uncoils, uh, which which is a very unique thing to watch. And I'm sure that throughout his major league career, he'll have to kind of adjust that here and there. Uh, but his bat's super quick, and he gets it to the zone pretty quick. So, so maybe not. But yeah, again, that's I'm just rambling. I'm getting off the point to say uh, I'm I'm not going to key in that hard on anything for him. Uh, I'm just going to hope he gets some opportunities. Uh, you know. I don't know how long he's going to be up here. It sounds like maybe a week, but I hope he just, he just feels comfortable and I hope he's not doing too much. And other than that, for a catcher who probably isn't going to catch every day while Yachty's gone uh, and with catching being as tough of a position as it is, uh, I'm just, what I'm going to be keying in on is just making sure he's not pushing himself too hard to play outside of the type of player he is, which is a really, really great prospect with a really, really good chance of being a good major leaguer. Uh, how does that sound, Mac Wake? No, it's t- certainly understandable. It reminds me of the tweets that you had about Gorman and uh, Levertor coming over uh, uh, beginning of the weekend about people getting angsty. So I, I understand it from that perspective. Yeah, you know, and again, I think it would be a little bit different if, say, Matt Wieters was the backup catcher, not Andrew Kisner. And... Uh, you know, you're talking about Yachty going on the 15-day IL and Ivan Herrera maybe starting 10 of 15 games. Like, I, I would tell you that this is a kid who, who, you know, uh, he frames the pitch low and outside really well. He frames – he'll rake a pitch down, like a breaking pitch high. He rakes that down into the zone. He can get a little clunky on the corners. Uh, you know, he does really great blocking side to side. He pops quick. He has a really strong arm. He's going to throw some guys out second. Uh, but – Again, I, I don't know how that all works for a person's first flare. I know that he's going to be wound up and ready to, to make an impression uh, when he does get a chance. So uh, it, it's exciting. I, I would say, you know, maybe I would say I'm just as excited, if not more excited, for Yvonne Herrera's debut than I am Nolan Gorman or Matthew Libertor's in particular. Not so much uh, for Brendan Donovan's or Juan Yepes's, but uh, of those five, Yvonne Herrera is the middle of, of the five. Interesting. And, and, you know, you could say it in general, this is a very exciting time because all of these guys we've kind of heard about for the last, you know, few years or so, some guys a little bit less, but still it, all these guys kind of coming up right now and trying to make significant contributions. It's a it's a cool time. So thank you for answering that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Mac Wake, I, I love talking it over with you, brother. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to remove you from speaker. Uh, yes, remove. And then I'm going to go to who was it? It was a uh, Will Poulter. You're next up. Will, as I add you to a speaker, I'll tell you, I remind you to unmute your mic, but I'm also going to tell, uh, again, Ben Dorshanez that he's next up. And then after that, you have uh, uh, E-Bail, Xander2STL, and then Scott Malerny. Uh, We'll do it in that order. So, uh, Will Poulter, go ahead and unmute your mic and uh, give me your question. How are you there, brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What you got? Hey, uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts. So, obviously, they pulled up Libby the other day to start. Um, then he immediately got sent back down after the game. And everyone was just kind of talking about how it was going to be a spot start. And then, obviously, they pulled him back up today after the injury to Mats. Do you think he's, like, concreted into the rotation until further notice um, for, like, Flaherty comes back? Or I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, is he long-term there? Or is he just going to be there, you know, if he does well? Or just what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, my thought, my initial thought is if they were willing to, you know, had Matt's not come up lame, if they were willing to bring him up for one start and then send him down, that that probably tells us that he's here until Matt's is healthy and ready to go. Or, you know, but in the meantime, there's a lot that can happen in 10 days and 15 days, right? Uh, there are still some concerns about some of the other starters, especially not going deep into starts. Uh, and anything could change. What I, what I feel like more than anything is this is his first real opportunity to earn the ability to stick around because of, you know, the lack of length that both Hudson and Hicks, although I'm more bullish on Hicks than I am on Hudson, uh, the lack of depth that Hudson and Hicks have provided so far, as you get deeper into the season, becomes a little bit harder to, to you know, have that taste in your mouth. So my guess would be that this is his first real chance to imprint to implant himself into the starting rotation where just the one start before Matt's got hurt was probably just a, uh, a get, you know, get your feet wet for this opportunity with the thought that the opportunity might be a month down the road when in reality, the opportunity is 24 hours later. 
does uh does that answer your question do you have any any follow-ups anything else on your mind yeah, just to follow up with that, like, how do you think overall his start went? I thought it went relatively well for the first start, but I just want to get your take on that. You know, he threw 4.2, had a few walks, but I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, a lot of the fan base, they're ready to kill Corey Dickerson, right? And it doesn't really matter what Corey Dickerson does. They're just, you know, they're just ready to get rid of him. And, uh, you know, the inside the park home run was tough, right? Uh, but I thought he was fine, you know, I it was interesting to me because I thought he'd be more psyched up and I, you know, I'm sure that one of the, the piece of advice that they gave him was just go in there, treat it like another start, you know, uh, pitch like you would normally pitch on any given day. But I was anxious to see the version of Matthew Libertor that I think is the best version, which is kind of counter to a lot of young pitchers, but like the super jazzed up, super confident pitching with an attitude version of Matthew Libertor. That's the best one. That's the, that's the guy who, throws his fastball, you know, the four seam high in the zone at 96, 97 miles an hour, mixes all four of his breaking pitches, you know, the sinker, the changeup, the slider and the curveball uh, to lefties and righties all throughout the zone and is walking off the mound uh, before a third strike is called. And I know that that has to be earned. So that was probably part of the thought process that went into it. But like, that's the best version of him. And my hope is in his next start, which uh, what it will probably be against Milwaukee, which probably won't happen, but uh, you know, my hope is in his next start, he gets the chance to pitch with some of that attitude and pitch with some of that energy that he that he didn't necessarily show. You know, uh, that first curveball that he threw in the first inning to Pittsburgh was the first one, was the sharpest curveball I've seen him throw all year. And his curveball's been really, really great. But that ball had extra juice on it. And I wanted, not the, not the one that he got his first strikeout with, that one was more in line with the same, the same break, the same everything as, as he throws regularly but that first one he threw was something else and that's I thought we were going to get that version of him uh but I think he was just a little so too subdued maybe a little bit too caught in the moment and, and I I think that we'll see a better version of him even if the results are maybe not as good in his next start all right thank you so much for your thoughts I appreciate it hey well no man it's my pleasure I appreciate you taking part in this uh uh thank you for for the question I'm removing you from speaker and we are going to uh, Ben Dorshanez. Ben, I'm adding you as a speaker. You'll have to unmute your mic. Uh, as a reminder, real fast, before you get to your question, we'll do uh, Xander2STL, email underscore 25 next. Uh, and then we will do uh, Scott Malerny. And then we will do Alex Murfin in that order. Ben, I apologize for having to go through everything. I just want to give those people a heads up. Ben, how are you today? What's going on with you, brother? I'm doing well, Kyle. Thanks for, thanks for allowing me to ask a question here. I just have... A question about the outfield. So, um, obviously, there's a lot going on out there right now. I'm, I, for one, might be in the minority. I'm cool with Bader batting 240, 250, because I think he gives us so much just on the defensive side of the outfield. And it seems like every time he gets on the base pass, he's a threat, and, and it seems like he's scoring. Um, but as far as that, you know, you see Tyler O'Neill. He looks like a shell of himself now. Dylan Carlson is – is not, I, I don't think, who, who we all thought he was going to be, at least, you know, now. I know he's super young, but just wanted to get your thoughts on the outfield as a whole. Um, and, and, and I know we got Yepes kind of, you know, platooning out there. Wanted to see if Brennan Donovan's an option out there as well. And like I said, just get your overall thoughts. I am always going to be a Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill honk. I love both those guys. But you, you bring up a valid point, specifically with Tyler O'Neill. Uh, I've been the king of him needing a, the Phantom IL stint. I don't think that this is necessarily a phantom IL stint, but I think that this is a great step for him. You know, last year at the beginning of about the mid part of April, the end of April, uh, he had an IL stint and he wasn't hitting particularly well before that. It gave him a chance to reset and he got going almost immediately when he came back. I, you know, for me, when I watch Tyler O'Neill, it's everybody's pointing at the mechanical. It's a mechanical issue, but the mechanical issue is brought on by the hesitance that's coming in his brain. Uh, you can see it. You can see you can see him start to load and then stop and then start again as he's you know with with his legs as he goes to swing, which tells me that he's his timing is off. But it's not off because of his mechanics. It's off because of his brain. So this is a good reset for him. Uh, and then with Dylan Carlson, you know, sure it hasn't been pretty when you look at the stats overall. But I would say that over the last three weeks in particular, and this is the most frustrating th frustrating thing I'm sure for him. Uh, and the saddest thing for us 
is he was just starting to get going. You know, we, we saw him start to take about three weeks ago. We started seeing him take some baseballs to the opposite field. And then from there, he was really starting to hit, really starting to be that version that we saw when he was good last year. You know, uh, something we've been talking about with Dylan Carlson since when he was a prospect uh, is, you know, one thing I've tried to warn people is that it would take two or three years before he became the polished version. And he's pretty polished for his age still. Um, but, you know, it'd probably be two full seasons and maybe a third season before we saw him reach all-star levels. And I think we're still on track for that. Uh, but to your question about the overall, the overall outlook of the outfield, I think right now what it does with all of these injuries, I think it gives Ali Mormol a chance to really play the hot hand, right? Because, uh, you know, they've got versatility up at the major league level in a way that they might not have had otherwise. Uh, Corey Dickerson's one thing. Uh, I don't think Corey – I'm not going to talk about Corey Dickerson. I, let's, let's not go down that road. Uh, but I, I think, to your point, like, Harrison Bader is what he is in center. And now that they're starting to hit a little bit, you can get away with that definitely a little bit more. And even if they're not hitting, uh, even if he's hitting 240 and driving the ball around, like, yeah, sure, if you want to pencil – if you want to pen him in every day, that's fine. But between Edmundo Sosa, who can play every infield position – uh, between Brendan Donovan, who now is capable of playing every infield position, uh, Tommy Edmond, who can play the middle infield and third, and then Yepes, a little bit of third, a little bit of first, can mess around out in the corners a little bit. Uh, I, I think it gives Ali Mormol the unique opportunity to really be, uh, to really utilize his entire roster. And since there isn't, like, there isn't an incumbent, there isn't, Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson. And there's two open spots at the same time. It allows him to be creative, which is what I've always wanted. Like that's, that was one of my major, uh, my major issues with Mike Schilt. Uh, I wanted the creativity. So I think my outlook on the outfield is get O'Neill back, get him healthy, see what he's got, get Carlson back, get him healthy, see what he's got. In the meantime, run all these guys out until they are exhausted, uh, run them out until they start to struggle and then see where it goes from there. Uh, you know, I, I think I think you guys know me, right? You know that I'm a big Juan Yepes honk. You know that I'm a big Brendan Donovan honk. I think both of those guys are going to continue to hit, and I don't think it's going to matter where they're playing. Uh, I personally believe Juan Yepes could handle maybe one of the few young players, 24 or under players, that could handle the permanent DH role, um, you know, maybe playing in the field once a week or twice a week if you had to get him out there. I think Brendan Donovan is a really great utility defender. Uh, the point I was trying to make last week about Tommy Edmond uh, being the better utility option is I think, by and large, Tommy Edmond can be a better defender at multiple positions on the fly than Brendan Donovan can. But that's not to, to discredit what Donovan can do. Brendan Donovan is a really, really solid defender. All right, back. Drew Kisner. He's trying to do is get back. Throughout the diamond. I just think Tommy Edmond can do it a little bit better at a couple different positions. And if for no other reason than because... Back into that count, why let him do that? And Harrison Bader jumps on that pitch, shoots it the other way. Man. Smart. Smart. It's good baseball. Yeah. Runners now at first and second. Four consecutive hits. The game is tied, and now it's Andrew Kisner. Kisner back to Simber. Out there. And they will turn two on a hard hit ball right back to Adam Simber. It all started with one out of nobody on. And the rookie sends a jolt through Bush Stadium. A line drive that turns out to be a home run. And that made it three to two. The Cardinals have tied it. One is, do you think Dylan Carlson can afford to, to add about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle to his frame? And two... Um, who has the better major league um, career, uh, Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman? Oh, I'll say Jordan Walker for that for that second one. Uh, you know, the, the strikeout rate with Gorman has me worried. Um, it's always had me worried. And I've always thought that Gorman, by the time he got to the major leagues, would actually see his walk rate increase because I think – I don't know. I, I just He seems like the kind of hitter who would have like a, a 6 to 7 – percent walk rate at the minors and then somehow in the major leagues get it up to 10 uh i think that people are still very confused about how to pitch to him i think they'll stay confused about how to pitch to him because he hits breaking balls so much better than he hits fastballs um uh, and i think that as a slugger i think that that's hard for for you know 
hitter or pitchers to wrap their mind around. And, you know, when he's on, he's really going to the opposite field too, which is special. I just think, you know, I, I live in a fantasy baseball world, right? So offensive production usually means a little bit more than defensive production. And I don't really know where Jordan Walker is going to land. I, I've said for a long time, I think it ends up being in corner outfield. Uh, I don't think it's going to be at third base, which his camp hates me for saying, um, uh, you know, they think he might be able to play short. Again, I, I don't see that exactly. But I just think that what, what Jordan Walker can do with the bat, not just from a slug perspective, but, you know, what he's capable of doing from an approach and production standpoint, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be that. And, and to your question about Dylan Carlson, if there's one thing Randy Rosarena during COVID has taught me is that every player would be better if they ate chicken and rice every day and did 200 push-ups. Uh, I don't know how easy it is for some players to hold on to 15 extra pounds. You know, I can't speak for Dylan and I shouldn't speak for Delvin Perez, but I think about watching Delvin Perez last year, you know, Delvin put on 10, 15 more pounds than he had the prior years. And by the end of the year, he seems skinny again. And that's because the major league season is grueling. You know, you can eat two pizzas a day with a super fast metabolism and uh, you know, Still and play baseball for four or five hours. Be at the be at the stadium for eight, ten hours a day, maybe twelve in some cases, and lose weight that day. So, uh, to me, it seems like Dylan has done a really good job of putting on a little extra weight at the beginning of the season, uh, and then watching it kind of fall off of him at the end of the year. So, to me, it's not necessarily maybe, and I, you know, I don't know his workout routine. I don't know, but to me, with a guy like Dylan Carlson, it's more about maintaining that muscle strength, that muscle mass throughout the year, maybe being more advantageous than actually adding that muscle. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And, and like I said, I really appreciate you diving in on both of those and appreciate your insight, Kyle. Go oh, for it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for, for, for participating. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And you had some great questions there. All right. Thank well, you. I'm going, I'm going to remove you from a speaker. Tell you thank you one more time, and then again we're gonna we're gonna end up going to Xander two S T L E Bale underscore twenty five. I'm adding you as a speaker. I'm reminding Scott Malerny that he is next, and then after Scott Malerny is Josh Brown. Uh, Josh has a really awesome podcast too. But that's a winner podcast, so I'm anxious to see what he has to say. But uh, uh, Xander, go ahead and unmute unmute your mic down there at the bottom. Uh, you'll see mic is on, mic is off. Go ahead and unmute your mic. And uh, give us your question. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How about yourself, bud? Uh, first of all, can you hear me okay? No, a... Yeah, you sound great. I'm having a good day. Sweet. I'm a good That's day. what I'm I want to hear, man. Hell to... yeah. Anxious to see if we can get this in before uh, the Cardinals start. I love it, though. I prefer to answer questions all night. Um, yeah, so my, my question, I kind of want to go back to, to pitching. Um, so, obviously, with Matt's being injured and um, Hicks kind of struggling with his command right now, if – if Matthew Libertor doesn't, let's let's just say show that he's ready. Um, do you think that the Cardinals will look to go outside the organization to maybe find some additional help? And if they do, who do you think are some realistic names that they may pursue if they go that route? Man, that's a great question. I don't think that they'll realistically look to go outside of their organization until they get closer to the trade deadline. I think that they still, again, you know, one of the things that we've seen. They're very top-heavy uh, from, a, from a prospect standpoint, not to diminish some of the talents or some of the prospects that they have at the low levels of the minors. But, you know, specifically with pitching, they're pretty top-heavy. And I would suspect that if Libertor shows that he still needs some seasoning, you know, they, they still have Jake Woodford. They still have, you know, I, I, even if we don't necessarily believe in him the same way, there's still Johan Oviedo down there. Uh, and then a couple of players who aren't on the 40-man, you know, Zach Thompson, is already 25 and he's pitched really great. I know people will look at his ERA, which is in the mid fours down there and kind of, kind of pause. But you know, the kid that I watch has been really good. Uh, I, I think that he might be major league ready. And then on top of that, they have another lefty in Zach, I mean, Connor Thomas rather. And I, I, to me, I think that they'd probably try to exhaust as many of their internal options before they looked outside of the organization, uh, which again, circumstance, I believe will dictate that, you know, I think, you know, knock on wood, pray, pray to whichever God you pray to uh, that, you know, if there's a situation where Michaelis goes down and Wayno goes down, that might change how they react. But I feel like from last year, we learned that uh, 
they don't generally react. You know, they're not really reactors. They, you know, they know at that point that they're kind of held over the fire by other teams. Uh, and the asking price usually gets out of their comfort zone. So, you know, I, I'm sure now they're probably they're probably looking. I, I don't think that they're done with the Jordan Hicks experiment. And, I, you know, again, I'm in, the, I'm in the minority. I have a clear bias here. Uh, but I, I don't think that they're done with that. And I don't think they should be. Uh, they need Hudson to step up in a big way. But I, to me, it just seems like the internal candidates being a little bit older, being at AAA, most of those guys repeating AAA, you know, for the first time or second time or whatever. Uh, I, I don't, it doesn't seem like in the immediate for at least the next month, barring any type of other major injury or injuries that they're going to look outside of the organization. Uh, and then, you know, if they do, when we get to the, you get to the trade deadline, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm so far removed from what the trade market might look like that I can't even, you know, I know everybody's talking about Frankie Montas. I get it. Um, you know, but other than that, like I, I am really so far removed from that. I'm not going to be able to give you a, a well thought out answer there. Uh, I, I'm sorry about that. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Or do you have a, a follow-up? Like, if they do stick internally, uh, you know, as a fan, how would how would you feel about that? And you're still muted. Can you repeat that question, please? Oh no! I, all I said was oh. that uh, you know, how do, do you have a follow up to to anything I said, or do you like if you were as a fan, like if say they stuck internally in your scenario and they went with Connor Thomas or Zach Thompson or you know Jake Woodford for a stretch, like how would you feel uh, opposed to going out and getting someone? Uh, you know, I, I guess it just, like you say, kind of depends on the asking price. I think I think St. Louis has a little bit more to offer uh, in terms of prospects now to maybe alleviate some of the log jams they have in their farm system. I mean, it's running pretty deep. Um, I think if you can go out and get a guy like Montas, it uh, would be worth it. Uh, it just depends on the asking price, which I believe he'll have another year of control after this season. So I can imagine they'd want a top, at least the top seven prospect. But um, I don't know. I mean, if, if you think they go outside outside the organization, they may look at somebody like Jay Happ again, or yeah. or maybe some like a John Lester or Jay Happ type pitcher. So honestly, I don't think that those type of dudes are going to give you more than what your internal option can give you. So honestly, I'm realistically, like you said, St. Louis doesn't really go outside the organization and make a splash say something, some, someone like uh, Frankie Montas. So even if the internal options struggle to an extent, I don't really think that St. Louis is going to go outside the organization. So it, it's not really going to make a difference, I guess. I, I would obviously be upset, and obviously a Cardinals fans would be clamoring for a pitcher, but we all know that that's probably not realistic. So um, I just hope that Jack Flaherty can come back soon. I hope that Libertor could can cement his role and make an impact. If those if that could happen, I think this question becomes relevant. So, um, I guess my other follow up would be that Boston is starting to win games now. So I think my uh, username is becoming more relevant by the day. So ah. maybe I can maybe I can change my name to J Half to SDL. Do it. That's the that's how you handle it. I love it. That's a great comment. Or or I can go all in and say Frankie Frankie to STL. There you go. See if you can get that going. I know for a while there, uh, uh, one of the members of our uh, Star Wars chat, I mean, uh, Aaron Mullins, was tweeting out another day uh, reminding everybody that the Cardinals need to trade for Montas. So, yeah, do it. Do it. Let's see what happens. And if you it know, happens, then we'll I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious, too. Like, let's say Montas is available and St. Louis pursues him. I'm really curious what a package would look like. I, I Obviously, you think Burleson would be involved in that. I'm curious what a package would look like, to be honest, now that you, now, now, now that you mentioned it. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I really don't know. Like you said, that extra year of control having next year, uh, I, I think it just depends on what, what teams are asking and, you know, what, what other teams are asking about Montas and how that market develops. Um, you know, I think about, you know, a couple of years back with Archer, how that all developed, the prospects uh, involved in that. Uh, you know, my thought is, if multiple teams and I, you know, I don't, I'm sure the Cardinals would ask about Montas. I think that there's a, a little bit of a maybe confusion by the fan base. who don't who think that, you know, Mazalak and company, they, 
they don't pursue those guys. I think they ask and I think they get a price. And I think that they decide pretty quickly if that per, that player is in their price range or not. And, you know, say that uh, they, they asked about Montas in March. You know, I'm sure that they've stayed in contact. Uh, you know, it doesn't always feel that way. But we know for a fact that, that Moselock and, and, again, the front office, they do inquire. And they also dangle their own names out there a lot to gauge the value of uh, some of the players. And, you know, when I say their own names, I mean their own prospect names, their own players' names, to gauge the value of some of those prospects. Just, to, you know, not just prospect, but players, uh, just to see what the market feels about them. So, like, all of that's going on. I just think that, you know, it's been a really long time since we've seen the Cardinals outbid anybody. You know, whether it be outbid somebody in the free Oh, they're not going to do that. No, no. Yes. Yeah. They, but to your point, to give, you know, they are in a unique situation with, with the amount of uh, – with being a little top-heavy in the organization. I think that gives them a little leeway to be a little bit more aggressive with, in a trade than they might otherwise have been. You, you know, you bring up Burleson. Burleson could be a part of that conversation. You know, I would suspect that they would want both Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill to reassert themselves as the major league corner outfielders. I guess there's always a situation in which one of those two could end up being a part of the deal if something like that happened. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, again, I think if the Cardinals make a trade, we know that they make trades from where they have depth, where they feel comfortable. And when you look at the organization, you see, you know, you see left-handed pitching. You see uh, catching. Like, they have some really good catchers in the organization. And while their outfield prospect depth isn't as strong as it used to be, you know, uh, they, they have outfield options, whether it be Moises Gomez or Matt Kaperniak or uh, 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 Chandler Redman or, you know, even though he's not having gotten off to a good start, Todd Lott. Um, you know, again, none of those guys are, are top-tier prospects, but they're all backfill options uh, that it would make somebody like – and I would hate to see it because I think Alec Burleson is going to be a really great major leaguer, but it would make somebody like Alec Burleson expendable if the Cardinals went in that direction. Or – what I would do is hope that Lars Newbar hits, uh, and then Newbar would be a come. Yeah, that's another. That's another name that came to mind because I feel like, kind of like you said, for me, pitching seems to be the biggest wild card in my opinion. Because if you get by the time the trade deadline hits, if you can get Jack Flaherty back healthy, and if Libby can stay in the rotation, your your rotation would be Flaherty, Libertor, Wayno, and Michaelis and Hicks this conversation will go away and Frankie won't even, won't even come up. But if, you know, let's say, like I said, if Libby doesn't, is not ready. If Flaherty's, if, if Flaherty uh, doesn't come back quite right from injury, let's say he gets injured again or has a setback, I think that opens up a lot more questions. I just feel like just looking at the prospects in the organization, it just seems like there's a few names out there that could be trade candidates. I don't know necessarily, necessarily if they have a future here. I just yeah. feel like there's some players that might be blocking them. And if St. Louis is pushing to win, win a World Series, God dang, that'd be awesome, by the way. Um, then yeah. I just thought that maybe some of these guys may become more expendable, say like a Delvin Perez or Alec Burleson or even Lars Newbar. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're on it. Now, I am, I am going to tell you, uh, and I think that that's the case. I do think that there's a chance that we are in the same situation uh, that we've been with a lot of these guys where maybe you're trading Jag a year too late. Maybe you're trading – you know, Lane Thomas a year too late. Maybe, you know, even Lane Thomas, he was still utilized in a fairly uh, important trade for John Lester. But, you know, uh, you know, maybe you're maybe you're trading Randy or Rosarena a little too late or, you know, it seems like and this goes back to a conversation we had last week um, where it seems like a guy comes up and doesn't really get a real opportunity. And I, to me, that's why this is so important. You know, we talked about the outfield a little while ago. We're actually we're actually in a situation where. Yepes is getting a real shot. Donovan's getting a real shot. You know, uh, the, the, again, Gorman's going to get a shot. He's, he's one of their prize prospects. But it's nice to see the kids actually play instead of coming up and getting the Lane Thomas treatment where they, you know, not to say Lane was great and he's been terrible for Washington, but where you get 27 at-bats in 45 days at the major leagues. Like, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think that why we see a lot of surplus, the Cardinals see a lot of scenarios that could go wrong and hope that their depth can back them up um that's what i think but hey xander i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you thank you i appreciate your question i want to get to these last two questions so again yeah i love what you brought you had some great thoughts uh thank you i'll tell you thank you and then i'll be quiet for half a second so you can say anything else you want to say uh yeah no i, I don't want to hold you up any longer i know i've 
probably been speaking longer than I should have, but I just want to thank you for answering my questions. Uh, thank you for hosting these space. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I am uh, getting ready to change my name to J half to STL right now. <laughs> awesome, brother. No, no. Hey, again, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you taking part in it. I appreciate the kind words and I, I'm anxious to have you back in. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Scott Malerny, uh, who I'm adding as a speaker. And then I will remind our good friend, Josh Brown, uh, that we are, uh, you're on deck, and those will probably be our last two people. Uh, Scott, you'll see down at the bottom left-hand corner is a mic is off button. Uh, yeah, it looks like you're good to go. Scott, how are you? Hey, doing? Macarena. Let's do it. Uh, I got a couple fun questions, I hope. Uh, number one, Kyle, thanks for having me on. Uh, number one question is, what do you have in your glass? <laughs> oh, boy. So I, uh, I've got this thing that I do. Um, by the way, it's my pleasure to have you on. Thank you for participating. I have a, um, it's kind of like a Moscow mule, uh, but, or I guess a Kentucky mule. But what I do is I use ginger beer and I use vodka and I use lime juice, but then I also have those really expensive, uh, posh life, hashtag posh lifestyle, Luxardo cherries. So what I do is I dip a couple of Luxardo cherries in there and then I put about a tablespoon of Luxardo cherry juice in there and I mix it all up uh, and uh, that, that's what I'm drinking. And then just to kind of throw it out there real fast, the next drink, which I can't wait to make, is going to be a, a Coca-Cola Starlight and vodka. Uh, again, for whatever reason, I like to say bourbon for late in the night. But this, this Coca-Cola Starlight, if you haven't had it, uh, and if you don't mind Coca-Cola, because I know there's psychopaths out there who you know, are Coke and Pepsi people. Um, I don't really have a preference one way or the other, but uh, this the whole Coca-Cola Starlight thing is really interesting. It's supposed to taste like what space would taste like or something, which, you know, doesn't taste like anything. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's really good with vodka. It, the, the short of the long is it's really good with vodka and it makes a really good drink. Uh, yeah. What about you? What are you drinking? Anything? Oh, I drink it straight, Kyle. I'm crazy. Uh, so I, I have, I actually have a, a bottle of courage and conviction from a cuvee cask. It's a, it's a single malt maker out of Virginia. That's really delicious. That's uh, kind of a unique that a friend got me. So I was like, this takes, this calls for a unique drink tonight. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I appreciate that you're experiencing a unique drink. Uh, feel free to DM me with that. I'd love to, I'd love to try to track down my own. And, you know, normally uh, normally it's the hard stuff for me. Normally it's just bourbon on the rocks, usually a little ice. Uh, and the ice gives me an excuse to load my cup up with bourbon and make me feel like I'm not the mu as big of an alcoholic as I am. <laughs> awesome. Nothing wrong with that, my friend. Uh, so uh, the question about the Cardinals. Uh, recently, Herrera breaks into the top 100 today, I saw. Um, and I guess it, right at 99. Uh, but that gives us four. And... I would like to know your comps on those four prospects. Uh, well, you know, I guess who are the, the four would be Gorman, Walker, Libertor, and, and uh, Herrera. Nailed it. Uh, you know, Gorman's, Gorman's a tough one, right? Uh, you know, I guess they're all tough in their own way. So the thing, let me start with Matthew Libertor. To me, that's the easiest. I think people forget that there was a time when Stephen Matz was a really highly thought of prospect in the, the Mets organization. Steven Matz was like a two-time top 30 prospect. And he struck out a lot of guys, and he did a lot of really impressive stuff. And we heard a lot of the same rhetoric, rhetoric about Steven Matz as a prospect as we heard about Matthew Libertor. Uh, the difference that we saw then and that we continue to see is that Libertor gets more pop flies, and Matz has been more of a grounder, uh, you know, a, a ground, ground ball-inducing pitcher to go along with the strikeouts. So I know that we have a version or a thought of Steven Matz now, but there was a time when Steven Matz made like his major league debut for the Mets. He was in his early 20s. He threw like 90 innings. He had like a 2.4 ERA. Uh, he, was, he was promising. He was really interesting. And I think that there's a combination to, or a, a comparison to be made there. Again, they, they do it a little bit differently. Uh, specifically going back to Mats as a prospect for the Mets. Uh, but I, I think that, like, if Mats would have stayed healthy, then that's a different picture than what we are seeing now. You know, that's, that's a whole lot of injury that he's been through to get to the point to where he's at now. He's another, another – what you say? I'm sorry. I didn't. I'm sorry. I must have hit something. Oh, you're fine. No big deal. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. 
um, yeah, so, you know, I think, I think there's a little bit of a comparison to be made there. Uh, all, the other thing with Libertor is when he's pitching athletically instead of being stiff, I think that's when he's at his best. And I think it took Steven Matz a little while to get to that as well. So those, that's like the first one that comes to my mind, and I'm being super lazy about it. Um, you know, with Gorman, the thing that I've always said at the plate is that there's going to be a lot of similarities between him and Tyler O'Neill. I think we're going to see Nolan Gorman be really good at first. I think, you know, at, at first appearance, I think we're going to see him struggle. And I think we're going to see him strike out a lot. I think he's going to need more time in the minors. Um, and then I think he comes up and I think if he stays healthy, he'll be good. He'll give it a run. I, I, I think that their profiles are similar. I think, I think you'll see him strike out when it's all said and done. Maybe not this year because, you know, sometimes the rookie years can go either way. You can either have helium where you outperform exactly what you are or you could be worse than what you are. I think he might outperform exactly what he is at first. Uh, and then I think you'll see somebody who strikes out between 28 and 32% of the time and who walks between, you know, eight, seven and a half and 9% of the time and who hits 35 bombs and, you know, on a, in a good year, if he's hitting a little lucky, has a 275 average with a 360 on base percentage. Uh, I think that there's a lot of similarities in how they go about, you know, the difference, the difference. Well, actually, even then, like we know that O'Neill struggles with breaking pitches outside and high heat inside with Gorman. It's high heat inside and breaking pitches low and inside like dirt low. So there's some similarities there too. Uh, you know, looking at it from a national perspective, I know people always say Ugla with, with Gorman, you know, I, I don't know. Dan Ugla was a perennial all-star who did a lot of really amazing things. And not to say Nolan Gorman couldn't be that. I think that Nolan Gorman could be that. And I've been, we've all been pretty impressed with what we've seen uh, him do defensively in such a short period of time at second, specifically turning the double play, I think, because of how strong his arm is. Yeah, that was uh, impressive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think that there's, I think if you want to go on the national thing, Ugla is an easy one to say, although I think, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's always tough for me. Like what I always try to do when I'm talking about comps is I always try to draw a cardinal comparison because, you know, I, I don't know. I think it just makes it easier. You know, I think we all have a perception of what Dan Ugla was, but we didn't watch him night in and night out. So we don't really have like, we don't know exactly what he was. You know, I, I think that there's a chance that, I don't know. I, I think that there's something more there. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think he's still so young. I think he's still making adjustments. I think what we've seen from Nolan Gorman, you know, getting better defensively at second, I think the way that he's handled outside breaking pitches, uh, outside heat, you know, I, I think that he's, he has a chance to be something really good. You know, Jordan, Jordan Walker, I don't even know what to compare him to. You know, his, his defense at third is clunky. His throws go awry, uh, but his arm is super strong and he's super athletic and he has better speed than you would expect for somebody from his size. And he, he just has a great approach. Although it seems like he's struggling a little bit with loopy breaking, like super loopy breaking pitches, um, which is funny because he hits everything else so hard. But uh, you know, I'm, I don't have a comparison for Jordan Walker. I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. I know that there's an easy comp just from production where people will say Albert Pujols or they'll say Oscar Tavares. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I you know, and then you people people want to say, is he the next Trout? Is he the next Acuna? Is he the next Soto? You know, I don't think he's any of that. I think he can grow into being, you know, a top 10 player in baseball. I think he has that ability. I don't know if I've ever really felt that way about Nolan Gorman. Uh, I, I think that he could be a draw. I think that he could be uh, a generational talent. And I don't necessarily know if there is another player out there in the last couple of years with a similar skill set that hasn't quite got to their potential power just yet. That, that I can I can go to. You know, it usually seems like it's kind of a feast or famine. Guys will hit for a bunch of power or they'll hit for a bunch of contact. And, uh, you know, it's it's not really a middle ground. So to watch Jordan Walker do what he's doing from a middle ground perspective, I, you know, I just – I don't know if there's another prospect that that I can really draw that comp for that, that makes me feel comfortable, you know. Uh yeah, that's the ultimate, I would say, compliment when you can't uh, really comp somebody. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, I think, I think that's, that also comes from me, right? And I, I'm not particularly good at doing comps. I'm, I don't really like doing comps in the first place. Uh, just, uh, you know, I, I just, it's hard enough to be a major league player. 
And it's hard enough to live up to the expectations of your family and yourself because you know these guys are harder on themselves than anyone. But then when you get to the major leagues, you have to deal with a fan base. And as we've come to find out in the age of social media, fan bases are nuts. We are crazy. We are maniacal, uh, fanatical, as a matter of fact. It's funny how that works out. But, uh, you know, I, I try my hardest not to, to put a person, especially with that much hype, uh, to, to, you know, I try my hardest not to boost them up more than they needed to be boosted up because of all the pressure that they're getting from every other direction. So, again, you know, I'm not the right person uh, to, to maybe even go to comps. But, yeah, you know, uh, what I, the last one since you asked, Avon Herrera, I've always said that, like, I viewed Yvonne Herrera as something like, you know, Jan Gomes or, uh, 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 yeah, Jan Gomes or Kurt Suzuki. Like, I think he could be some combination of those two. You know, that, that for, for whatever reason, that's always been like the easy one to me. Uh, I think that at his peak, he'll be that. But I always tell people with catchers, you know, they, it seems like they always take a step back at the major leagues before they catapult forward. So, uh, again, sorry to cut into the, the – Sorry to ramble because I'm terrible at comps, but uh, <laughs> I yeah. think you did great. I think you did great, Kyle. I appreciate that. Um, oh, the one, thank you. one comment I would make on on the uh, the comp between uh, Gorman and Tyler O'Neill is I, I just see a little bit more length and on the front side in the swing for uh, Gorman, which usually translates pretty well to the big leagues. Uh, and I see, and maybe it's shoulder issue or what have you. But uh, when Tyler O'Neill's not doing well, he's not extending out front as much. Um, it's uh, the bats in and out of the zone a little bit more. Um, and it seems like Nolan Gorman really has that uh, from the beginning, um, which, which, is, which is fun to watch, uh, which uh, after I've watched a lot of Major League Baseball players, minor league college, and it seems like he just um, he already has that of which I've seen guys develop when they get to the major leagues. Yeah, well, keep in mind that, too, you're, you're kind of seeing him at his best. Now, he does the similar kind of thing. Now, uh, Nolan Gorman's worked on that, exactly what you're talking about. He's worked, you know, with his people and with win reality to continue to have length through the zone while having a shortened swing with the length through the zone. And he does the same thing. When, when he starts struggling, you'll see that he he pulls his, his lead shoulder. I mean, he'll, he'll pull his right shoulder. And, I, you know, I think, that, I think that goes with being a slugger, right? Because – you start pulling your shoulder you get your, to get your arms extended, and it kind of throws off all of your mechanics. So right. I think that I think that's a, you know, I have my own thoughts about Tyler O'Neill. I, I think I know that player and that person particularly well. Uh, but you know, outside from that, like I think that that those are the kind of things that sluggers do. But he's worked and he's changed his mechanics specifically to avoid the slump. And, you know, the win reality in particular and, and his hitting people have been have been huge to, uh, you know, turn him from what what is really a 240 hitter to what will probably be a 265, 270 hitter at the major league level. Uh, and then, you know, a 300 hitter at the minor league level. So, uh, yeah, no, th those are all valid observations. I love it. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate your time. I know you got one more, so I'll uh, let you be. That's awesome, Scott. Hey, we really, really appreciate you chiming on in. I'm removing you from a speaker, and then we're going to go to Josh Brown 116. Josh, you, uh, I'm going to add you as a speaker, and you, my friend, are going to be our last person here uh, as we prep for the Cardinal game. Josh, you'll have to unmute your mic uh, down there at the bottom left, and I will say hello, Josh. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate the uh, podcast shout-out. We loved having you on with that. Oh, it was awesome. It was my pleasure. I love being on. Yeah, it was a blast, man. Uh, well, look, I won't keep you too long on this last question. I know the game's starting up. Uh, if somebody asked about this, uh, I apologize. I came in a little late. But I wanted to ask specifically, um, bullpen-wise, two guys, we've talked about them a little bit, Connor Thomas and Zach Thompson. Do you see those two guys having any opportunity in the bullpen this year? Uh, and the reason I ask that is because it seems like T.J. McFarland. I know he had three scoreless yesterday. It was kind of a mop-up roll, but even if you watch towards the end of that game, those three innings he pitched, I mean, there were some balls that, that were getting hit pretty hard. He's just clearly has not been the same guy as maybe the lightning in the bottle we caught last year with all the double plays that he got. But do you see either Connor Thomas or Zach Thompson getting a shot to come up to be the second lefty in the bullpen if McFarland keeps struggling like this? Because Thompson, I was looking at today because I got to thinking about this, 
I was just looking at his line, and I know you've watched him, but ERA is a little bit high. But his whip and his walk rate is great. I know the walk rate was a big knock on him last year. It was almost 8.0 walk per nine. It's down to 2.1 this year. And he's got the same exact strikeout rate, the 11.4 right now. So I know he's got swing and miss stuff. Obviously not a ground ball guy like McFarlane. But do you see either of those two guys playing in the bullpen if TJ McFarlane keeps struggling? To me, it'll be, you know, Pecky Naughton will get the first call at the TJ McFarlane spot. Uh, you know, that's it goes back to the Cardinals and the pecking order, especially on the 40-man. That's kind of how they do things. Um, you know, a reminder about TJ yesterday, you're right, he got hit hard, but he also threw like 50 pitches, which was nuts. Um, I think the Cardinals will hold on to that longer than fans will tolerate for worse, probably more so than better. But I do think that there's a better chance that Zach Thompson finds his way into the bullpen than Connor Thomas. With Thomas, he just has more of a starting profile. Uh, you know, bunch of pitches that spin appropriately he works quick throws strikes get ground balls he's more he's more their style you know if you're asking for a replacement for tj mcfarland maybe he does make sense because of how the track record of getting ground balls maybe maybe there is um an easier avenue to replace tj mcfarland with counter thomas than you know you might think but i do think i think counter thomas is a starter I think if he's going to have a lot of success, it's going to be as a starter. And, and the guy who profiles more as a reliever of those two is Zach Thompson. You know what? I, I could envision a situation in which Zach Thompson has the Henesis Cabrera role. You know, maybe he makes one start uh, or two starts, and then he finds his way into the bullpen and is a very valuable bullpen option for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think, you know, his changeup, first off, one of the big things with him is his fastball velocity just has so much more velocity on it as compared to last year. You know, you're talking about, on average, you know, six extra miles an hour, uh, arm healthy, arm strong. Because of that, he's getting more swings and misses, about 8% more. Uh, again, positives. His curveball also is spinning the way that you want it to spin. His slider and his changeup have been kind of weird. His changeup has been good. Uh, it kind of it kind of has deep fade to it sometimes. His changeup has been been pretty good he just hasn't thrown it a lot uh and he's hardly really using his slider so because of that i think he's the type of pitcher that could get away with being a really really devastating late inning option going fastball and curve uh and you know and making making a really good major league impression uh, out of the bullpen so of the two i would suspect it would be him you know he's a little older now we, we forget about that because of the lost 2020 season um you know, I had a lot of people bring it up last year when he was struggling. Like, oh, my God, he's so old, and he's at AAA, and he's struggling. And that's why we try to always talk about the context with him, about how that was his first minor league season. Uh, you know, even at an advanced age, being assigned to AAA was tough. Uh, he was obviously dealing with arm fatigue issues because his velocity was down. Uh, so to see him healthy now, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a pleasure to watch. You know, don't just look at his strikeout rate. Don't just look at his walk rate. Look at that FIP. You know, um, ERA is tough, right? It, it tells a very small portion of the story. Uh, but look at look at the FIP, look at the XFIP, and I think it gives you a better idea of just how good and maybe major league ready Zach Thompson is. So, yeah, I, I would suspect Thompson. I ho- I'm hopeful that we get to see Zach Thompson at some point this year. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what it looks like or what, what happens when it happens, uh, you know, as far as what roster moves might make it to that point. But, uh, yeah, like I of the two, and you guys know I'm a big Connor Thomas fan. I wanted – I, if I had my way, I probably, I probably would have gone with both Thompson and Thomas before I went with Liberador. Uh, but that's not to take anything away from Matthew Liberador. It's just to say that I would have liked to have seen Connor Thomas get a chance to start, especially now that he's back to being on track. And I would have liked to have seen Zach Thompson get a chance to start because, in my opinion, he's been the better of the two pitchers. Uh, but yeah, I think that. Look, I think that I think we'll see one of the two, and more than likely, whichever one of those two will assert themselves in the bullpen. Uh, yeah. I know that that was kind of a long, convoluted way, Josh. you have any other thoughts about that? No, that was great, man. I think I think the Cabrera comp to Thompson's great, especially you know with his fastball and the strikeout rate. I guess the last one comment I'll make is hopefully we get to see uh, Lars Newtbar maybe get some get some at bats. I saw he's using the he's using the hockey puck knob like Goldie and hit three home runs. Maybe the whole team needs to start using this hockey puck knob. I'm gonna use a, I'm gonna use a hockey puck knob on all my tools at work. To make me a better worker. <laughs> fantastic no you're right hopefully he gets a little run you know i know fans are 
tired of Corey Dickerson, and I understand it, and I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen Lars in the lineup tonight after hitting three home runs yesterday. Well, let's hope maybe if it was just a little travel lag or something and he'll be in there because, yeah, I think from what we saw last year, even defensively, he gives you more there. Offensively, he's shown he can, he can handle the bat some. Maybe maybe that maybe that send down initially was because they knew they wanted to give Dickerson some runs. So, but you talked about Donovan too. I mean, he's in right field tonight, and he seems like a guy who's played fine out there as well. I mean, I, I would have no problem with Carlson and O'Neill out uh, seeing Donovan and uh, Newbar in the corner outfield spots. Yeah, you know, my my thought is simply whatever keeps Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes in the lineup. I, you know, I that's that's really all I care about at this point. I. I hate to be dismissive of Lars Newbar. I like Lars a lot. I, uh, I, you know, I've just always thought that Donovan and Yepes were better players. And, you know, the, especially with Donovan, Donovan does something different than a lot of guys in the organization do. He has a whole different approach. You know, he, he can do a lot of things a little bit different with his at-bats. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Lars being a fourth outfielder, even if it's, you know, the fourth fiddle to Yepes, Bader, and Donovan, as crazy as that is. That's all I had, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing these, these chats. I think I speak for everyone when we say these are awesome. We, we, we love doing it. So, Well, awesome, Josh. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I'm going to put you on speaker. I'm going to uh, remove you from a speaker. I'm going to tell you thank you. I'm going to remind everybody to check out That's a Winner podcast. I also see my good friend Matt Thompson is in here. Uh, Matt does Prospects Live. Check out Prospects Live. And uh, hold on. Let me make sure that this thing is still on. Yeah, check out Prospects Live. They do awesome stuff, especially as we ramp up for the draft. I love my friend Matt Thompson, but uh, the, Miles Michaelis is throwing his first pitch. It's a ball. His second pitch is a foul ball strike. Uh, so for everybody at Prospects After Dark, uh, everybody at Birds on the Black for Cardinals Gifts, I'm Kyle Reese. This was another episode of the Prospect Macarena. Uh, thank you for participating. And uh, I guess, uh, as somebody said a second ago, we'll end this with, hey, Macarena. <laughs> <laughs>